Hey, Jenny. Hey, Matt. I am so friggin' excited. I'm excited, too. Do you want to tell the people what we're so excited about today? I do. Folks, we are going to be recording our first live recording of our podcast, Hey Adora, at freaking FlameCon 2022, the largest queer comic book con in the world. Live in New York City, bitches! Live in New York City! Ow! Next month, August 20th and 21st, in New York City at the Times Square Sheraton, Hey Adora will be doing our very first live show. We'll be performing Once Upon a Time in the Waste. A.K.A. Catra in a leather jacket. Yes. And Gina Davis. And Gina Davis. It's going to be lit. It's going to be lit. We are realizing one of our greatest dreams of doing our very first live show. And we cannot wait to see as many of your beautiful faces as possible. If you live anywhere within driving, flying, walking, or crawling distance of New York City, come, come gay scream with us, you guys. We would be so excited to hang out with you, have some Professor Smart Brain time. Get a Hey Adora sticker. Get a Hey Adora sticker. Gay scream. It's going to be fantastic. Um, I have had the pleasure of going to FlameCon before, and I have seen some unbelievable Shira cosplay, among other fun things. It's a really fun event. FlameCon. It's an affordable queer Comic-Con. Full weekend passes are only $50. Single day pass is $30. And if you are 21 or under, Sunday is free. That's awesome. How can you get tickets? It is amazing. You can get tickets at flamecon.org slash tickets. And because we only recently got this awesome news, we do not know yet which day we will be performing, but we will let you know, of course, as soon as we do know. And you can find out those updates on all of our socials, our Twitter, TikTok, Insta, and Facebook. And you can find us all, though, all there at HeyAdoraCast. Yeah! We're so excited to see you at FlameCon! Ah! Hello, friends! Welcome back from our little summer sabbatical. We are thrilled to be back in your ear holes here at Hey Adora. We are coming back to you with a super, super fun and very special episode of Hey Adora. We have two very special guests on today's episode, our friends from the Witch Bitch Review, Siren and Phoenix. And because it was such a special episode, we had to split it in two, didn't we, Meth? We sure did. We had an incredible time talking about dark magic. And just magic in general. All the magics. So stay tuned for today's, and we're going to release our second part on Thursday. Yes, so it's a very short wait this time, just a couple days, so you can fully digest part one before you get your magical little claws into part two. Start your gay screaming now. Hey folks, and welcome to a very special episode of Hey Adora! Your queer Shira podcast. I'm Force Captain Meth, they them. And I am Princess Jenny, she her. And we have very special guests. Incredibly special guests so today. Special. We're so excited. Oh my god. Who are they? Well, hey Adora, hey, I'm a fistful of sparkles with the fancy stick, an anger management problem, and a skiff load of daddy issues. That's right, <laughs> horde scum. <laughs> I'm Queen Siren of Bitch Moon. Yay! 
And I am a caring, good-natured friend who's only doing this child soldier thing until I can manage to get dicked down by my lizard daddy boyfriend, Cadet Phoenix. Yes! Oh my yes. god! Hi, friends! Um, do you guys want to share your pronouns since we always share our pronouns at the top? Sure. I, I use he, him pronouns for Phoenix here. And I literally don't care. Call me whatever you want. Awesome. Unless it's in a press release and then it's they, them. <laughs> Fabulous. <laughs> so, Siren and Phoenix... You are here with us today, but when you're not here with us, you have your own podcast. Do you want to tell our audience what your podcast is? We would absolutely love to brag about our podcast. Yeah. Um, so we host the Witch Bitches Review podcast, which is right now kind of charmed centric. Uh, but essentially we watch and review and analyze representations of witchcraft and pop culture. Mm-hmm. So we brought our fabulous witches in for today's episode because today is a magic-focused episode of She-Ra. I absolutely love that you chose this episode for us to guest star on. And if I can oh, yeah. geek out beyond the episode, I'm just so fucking thrilled to be here. I love your show, and not a secret, but like after I listened to the first episode, I hit up your guys' official Twitter account, and my goal in mind was to get you to let me on your fucking show. <laughs> like, that was what it was about. I was Goal achieved. I love your show, too. So I've done it. Highlight of my yes. year. I'm on Hey Adora. Yay! I, I am also a big fan of your show. I've listened to all of your episodes. Because of you, I have rewatched not all of Charmed, but I rewatched the first five seasons, and then I got to the end of season five, Ew. and I was like, oh yeah, I'm not so wild about the later episodes, oh, yeah. but I'll probably still rewatch them when you guys get to them. I'll tell Go. you what, no matter how bad they are, it's going to be good <laughs> when we talk about it. Oh yeah, definitely. So the episode that we are all here gathered around doing some, some ritual for is season two, episode six, Light Spinner. Light Spinner was written by Catherine Nolfi, storyboard by Trey Bongiorno. Diane Hook, Angela Kim, and Sam Szymanski, directed by D. Woman. Nice. Jenny, I feel like you have some very important announcements to yes, make. Yes, I do. So recently, we asked our patrons over on Patreon to help us choose the name that we will forevermore give to our favorite Horde Cadet trio of Lonnie, Kyle, and Rahelio. So it was not even close. It was a massive landslide, which I think we kind of figured it would be. So I'm going to give you the full breakdown. Coming All in right. third place with 12% of the vote. We have the Badass Buddy Brigade. In second place, with 18% of the vote, we have the Shenanery Trifecta. Shenanery is a great word, Shenanery by the way. is a great word, and it speaks to the power of the first place winner coming in with a whopping 70% of the vote. <laughs> we have the Powerhouse Polycule. Who doesn't love a great alliteration about polyamory? I mean, I'm down. not a bunch of queers. Not a know? bunch of queers, yeah. So from forevermore... When we are discussing the Horde Cadet trio of Lonnie, Kyle, and Rahelio, they will be the powerhouse polycule. Love it. So I feel like I have to bring up now that in okay. earlier episodes, y'all talked a lot of mad shit about my boy Kyle. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I have to say this now since he's not in this episode, but Kyle is the best and he is not useless. He's a lover, not a fighter, and he's perfect. And you guys are just mean. <laughs> That's fair. If you go back... I have literally said the words, he's a lover, not a fighter, at least once. I just remember that one time you called him useless, and because I am a real person with a crush on a cartoon character, it hurt my feelings. <laughs> and I am also a useless lesbian. So... Like, that is not a... I, you call me useless all the time, and you know that I, I love her. And 
I accept that because useless lesbians are a real phenomenon. That's why I have to yell at you into this microphone because I will have you know, gentle listeners, that Princess Jenny will slide into my DMs on the reg to criticize just the fact that I talk a wild amount of shit about Phoebe Halliwell on my own show. It's true. She does. (laughs) I never hear the end of it. I'll be just like in my natural state being callously mean about someone and then I'll think, God, you know, what if Jenny's on my messenger, you know? Better like act like a decent person. It's exhausting. I think that's fair. I will accept that. But I have also said Kyle's a lover, not a fighter and he's not being used to his best potential as being a soldier and that he would do better in a different context. And I would just like to point out that I just think he's yeetable. That's not a good or a bad thing. There's no judgment. That's on true. Him. Yeetable. <laughs> Shall we get into this episode? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So we open our episode with light spinner with a bunch of teenagers practicing some magic. Yes. In Mysticor, the magically floating island magically cloaked by magic. Don't, Jenny, don't you mean... Magic? <laughs> yes, I do. I, I know you do. So we get our, we get this adorable little Micah playing. Little preteen Micah. Doing, just drawing some sigils, NBD, with, uh, with a veiled woman with bright eyes and an even brighter future. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, <For> sure. <laughs> it didn't occur to me until this viewing of this episode um, to wonder why Light Spinner wears a lower face covering even before she gets her facial scars. Yes, so this was a conversation that I had with my girlfriend earlier today when we were watching the episode. And what I said, because it's me, was mm-hmm. that perhaps this is kind of a visual nod to the fact that she is a character and a creature of manipulation. Mm. So you never see her full face Mm. and you never see the full words coming out of her mouth. Mm. And you don't ever get to see her full facial expressions. Exactly. I would say, I agree with that. I don't, I can't think of like a good, like, I guess, cultural reason why she would be wearing it. Right, because they don't have religion. Because I don't, I don't have anything like that. But it just... It seemed to me like, I mean, spoilers, um, Shadow Weaver's face is like the big reveal of the final episode. So obviously you can't just see it in this flashback episode, you know. But yeah, other than that, I can't think of like a, a canon like in show reason. But obviously, um, symbolically, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, that's a good, that's a really good thought, Meth. Um, I think that. Thank you. That's as good a reason as any. I can only come up with jokey reasons. Oh, let's hear like, them. I was like, well, they don't have religion, so it's not that. No one else right. wears one. Maybe right. she no one also, else wears one. Maybe she also lived through a pandemic and has residual germ phobia. <laughs> you know what? Maybe Light Spinner is the only person who gives a damn about COVID-19. Like, maybe. That's, that's what it is. Maybe yes. that's why she's so bitter. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's relatable. So anyway, so little adorable Micah and his little preteen friends are just practicing their sigils. And the golden outline of an eagle flies by. It's a magic eagle drawing. Very cool. And we've got some upbeat musical cues suggesting that good magic is afoot. Yeah. And like Mm -hmm. everyone's learning. They're learning. They're growing. They're becoming the sorcerers that they, they, they are striving to be. They're practicing their little seventh grade magics. 
Not everyone <laughs> is great, but you know, they're learning. They're getting so there. So seventh grade. But oh my God. So seventh grade, right? That That is actually um, a really common theme in a lot of magical media is using things like musical cues and color psychology to indicate what the intention of what ha- what is happening mm. is. It happens oh. in uh, in The Witch, the 2015 mm-hmm. film. Um, oh, yeah. And it also was just in a movie that we just talked about on our podcast called The Love Witch, where all of the music was like really weird and freaky whenever something magical was happening. I fucking love that movie. Me too. So much. We loved oh, it my so God. much. We had to make two episodes about it. Like we could I not, not shut up. either one of Jenny, those movies. Jenny, you need to see this movie. It's okay. like, it's incredible. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, I would just have to say to Meph or anyone else interested that you can totally catch our episode, Elaine Used Mean look on the love witch available by which bitches review wherever you get your podcast <laughs> yes. yes i recommend all of your episodes to all Absolutely. the people yes yeah. um, but that is a good point um that phoenix raised because you know it can be hard with just visual cues to know the nature of magic is this good yeah. is this bad especially when it, with a character like light spinner slash shadow weaver in the mix. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Yeah. So we see this scene and we're set up to know that this is good magic. Everyone's just having a good time. Nothing evil is happening. And we see little Micah makes a ram, a a light magic ram that smashes light spinner's eagle. Rude. Totally rude. He looks a little sheepish like that was an example of misbehavior rather than something to be praised. But Light Spinner takes it in stride. She just recasts another eagle way bigger and smashes the fuck out of Micah's ram, (laughs) reminding all the kids who is in charge here. And so she does it with magic rather than with yelling and with discipline, Mm -hmm. which is something, you know, as someone who went to a school that I had a really good relationship with, I really appreciated that, you know, like she showed her dominance by displaying her superior skill. Not by yelling at him and telling him that he's doing something out of turn and he's misbehaving and he's bad. She's just like, all right, you want to interrupt my lesson? Do a better job. Right. Show that you are the superiorly skilled person yes. in this equation and earn it. Mm-hmm. Be the sorcerer supreme. You know, and the kids are laughing. It's a good lesson. Yeah. So while we're here, do you guys want to hear two actual witches talk to you about sigils? Yes. Oh my god, yes. yes, I have stuff about sigils too. Yeah. Yes, please. Yes, okay. Um, so we both wrote a little bit. Siren, do you wanna start or you want me to read? Why don't why don't you go ahead and then I'll do my version of Professor Smart Brain? Hmm. Can I tag on? I'm gonna tag on too. You absolutely I also wrote can. About sigil magic. One hundred. You know, as we said, the students are casting sigils, and I, I noticed right away that it looks very similar to the way that magic is cast in Doctor Strange. The, mm-hmm. in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And um, it made me think about how when certain kinds of magic want to be represented as like good, quote unquote, they typically won't use words like witch or uh, spells. It's always some other kind of term. And it doesn't, they don't usually use like mm. recognizable iconography or symbols like the pentacle for real witches. Um, and sometimes it's even like made up stuff to just to avoid not having that sort of satanic panic interpretation of what they're yes. doing. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Buffy does that too. Yes, they do. I don't, I didn't re- recognize any of the sigils used in the show or this episode um, in mm-hmm. general as like, 
it, nothing stood out to me as like something I'd researched or seen before. I just found them all like mm-hmm. just kind of geometrically pretty. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about like sigils and what the word like means and where it comes from and stuff. Yes. Do you know please. I love some etymology. Yeah, me too. Yeah. That is something yeah. we have in common. Sigil comes from Latin. I believe it's sigillum and it means seal, not like. Arf, arf, like, yeah, yeah. I'm the circus. <laughs> not, like, and not like Kiss from a Rose. Yeah, and not like that. Yeah, but like, um. Seal, like the seal of this official thing. The seal of. Yes, thank you. Yes. Yes, precisely. Precisely. Um, so a sigil is a symbol that's specifically used for magical purposes. That's what makes it a sigil rather than just a symbol. Some of the earlier popularized examples that really like, gave way to sigils being commonly used in the occult as we know it or found in the Lesser Key of Solomon, which is this anonymously penned grimoire that was compiled in the 17th century, but pieces of it are like, God only knows, like how much older than that. And it was basically a guide on using symbols to summon demons to get your way. From what I understand, I've actually not read it. <laughs> I, I have a copy of it, but I found it super duper boring. So I put it down. I... Same. I have a copy. Yeah. I actually have a couple of like PDF copies that I tried to read it, and I'm like, I'm not doing any of it's this. It's just so that. archaic, and I'm <laughs> like, it's really, yeah, it's just not for me. Like, I can draw my own pictures, you know. Yeah, I want to use glitter. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, <Those are> sigils. <laughs> a sigil tends to be um, an elaborate composition of shapes, designs, lines, drawings, etc., that are contained within a circle. Sometimes it's a square, but it's almost always a circle. Early sigils tended to represent specific named angels, demons, gods, or spirits that the caster was supposed to be invoking to perform their spell. Mm-hmm. But that's not really the way that like a modern witch does it so much anymore. Sigils um, have evolved to become representations of the caster's desired outcome for doing the spell. So rather than the sigil being like, this is the being I'm invoking, the sigil is, this is what I want. This is my desire. Mm-hmm. Typically, you would draw the sigil on like a relevant surface with chalk or ink, like the floor, if I don't know, you can get away with that sort of thing, or maybe just a piece of paper. But um, you could trace it in the air. The way that they do in these episodes. Can you use the crushed up dust of your magical sorcerer's guild badge? Oh, yeah. That's like a classical way to do it. I mean, I think Mm -hmm. the answer to that is pretty obvious, Jenny, but um, (laughs) I'll give you a pass. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, You know, most people can't like actually make the like glowing lights in the air with their hands while they're drawing them in the air, but um, they can't. if you could... I think everyone that goes to a rave would disagree with you, actually. That would be cool I as was well. gonna say, like, you could definitely do it with, like, you know, some poi or something. Okay, I stand corrected. Poi spinning symbols, sigils. I'm realizing how pathetic my life is, and that I have never done any kind of witchcraft at a rave, so I would have to say that teenage me would There's be still time. disappointed. <laughs> That's still time. Let's do it together. Okay. Sigils are n- now a big part of a more modern system called chaos magic. And um, they are created a little bit differently. And like chaos magicians have the freedom to just kind of form them however they want. Cause that's part of the whole chaos of it all. But there are a couple of like, I guess prescribed ways that you can do it. Um, one way is to just write out what you want to achieve in as like few words as possible. And then you remove all of the duplicated letters and then you take what you have left and you combine all those letters together in a symbol. So yep. like, so you've taken like, the verbiage of your intent, basically, but turned it into something that's more 
I guess, intricate and that you had more to do with creating than like just writing a sentence. Not that writing a sentence isn't magical in its own way. Um, there are other ways. There's this cool chart that I have on my phone where like, it's the same thing. You like take the letters the way I described, but then you like find the letters on this chart and you draw these like zigzagging lines connecting them. Yeah, that's like the the witch's wheel or something. Yeah, it makes like something super cool every time. I love it. Mm, That's awesome. I was just going to bring up Austin Osmond Spare. Who was uh, one of the progenitors of chaos magic. Yes, and he had a lot to do with um, everything I just spent way too long talking about. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. So that was all, that's all I was going to say. Sometimes sigils can even be like downloaded through like spirit messages. I have a, a particular spirit guide that I work with on a regular basis that has shown me the sigil to use to call on them. So it, it all just kind of varies and depends on your experiences. I say a lot, you can ask a hundred different witches the same question and get a hundred different answers. So yep. <laughs> just like Jews. Just like Jews and Jew witches, especially. We yes. have like mm-hmm. t- 10,000 yes. different answers yes. for everything. Totally. Uh, yeah. So can I ask, since we've arrived at this place, because I know that, I know that Jenny, you at least have like a passing relationship with like witchcraft and magic. And I don't exactly know where Meph stands on that. So, so I want to know since we're talking mm-hmm. about it. So like, where are you guys in terms of like witchcraft? Have you ever done it? Would you ever call yourself a witch or have you in the past? I am a witch. I was actually a professional witch for a while. I lived in Salem and ran a business. Oh my god. Uh, my ex. I uh, was part Amazeballs. of a queer witch. I was part of a queer witch collective, have done multiple public rituals. Uh, and um, I consider myself to be a Jewish. I, I uh, My basis is in chaos magic. Yeah. Oh, that's fucking rad. I love that. I'm sort of obsessed with you. (laughs) It's like eclectic eclectic queer-focused chaos magic, I think, is the closest thing that describes where my witchy stuff is. Nice, 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 nice. So that's where I'm at. That's where I was like, oh, yes, the sigils. (laughs) Jenny, what about you? So for me, um, I went through a witchy, my, my obligatory queer... Which teenage phase can't avoid it, can't skip it. But yeah, I, I know I've mentioned that before. I, you know, I have the book that all adult witches love to mock uh, Raven Silverworth, Silver Wolf to ride a silver broomstick. In fact, oh, hold yeah. on, I have it right here. Oh yeah. Oh, I have read that book, and it is a journey. <laughs> it totally is. And so, but so the more I studied Wicca and witchcraft. You know, at the time when I was doing, you know, my witchy studies, the more obvious it became that I was studying a lot of European traditions. And I was like, well, this is silly. I'm, you know, these are not my traditions. Right. This is cultural appropriation. And in a way, I feel like when you're in a minority and you're studying culture that comes from the dominant majority, even though witchcraft is not the dominant majority, European culture is the dominant majority. I was like, I am assimilating myself <laughs> and I don't need to do that because, you know. I'm interested in earth magic and things that would bring me back to being in touch with the seasons and, you know, being less focused on an anthropomorphized God. And you can get all of that from Judaism, Mm -hmm. you know, and and Kabbalah is incredibly rich. There's Jewish mystical meditation in the Kabbalah. Yeah, really cool stuff. I'm actually, I just started reading about the Kabbalah. Yeah, I mean. Actually reading through it. It's pretty awesome. It's very, very, very rich. It's awesome. Yeah. And the other thing that started to turn me off, and I know that you don't need to do this, 
you know, if you are a witch is, you know, the whole pantheon thing and the gods and goddesses. I was like, I don't even believe in the idea of one anthropomorphic god, let alone a whole bunch of them. And I feel like that was taking me further away from what felt authentic to me rather than closer. If that makes sense. That absolutely makes no, sense. No, it makes perfect sense. So I, I took, I feel like I took what served me. And you know, I, my, my dad and stepmom are hippies and they live in the woods in Western Mass. And they happened to have, you know, when I was in high school, a close friend who was a Druid priestess. And she actually performed their first marriage ceremony because they got married twice. Uh, <laughs> the first time was before my stepmom converted to Judaism. The second time was after. So they had one Jewish wedding and one pagan wedding. Did they do a hand fasting or was it a wedding? It was a wedding. It was a wedding officiated by a Druid priestess. Okay. Okay. It was, you know, in the woods, in the snow behind their house in Belchertown. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, like I felt like I had an opportunity to draw on some wisdom and I took it. Yeah. Um, And I believe in a lot of earth based magic metaphorically in the same way that I believe that all religion is metaphorical. Mm -hmm. Sure. Sure. Um, I don't yeah. believe in en- that anything is literal. Yeah. So I felt like, I feel like Judaism is a great base. Judaism, t- for me, is kind of like tofu, that you can absorb what you want from a lot of different things and make it work with your Jewish base without it being in direct conflict with the way it might be if you were starting with a base of Christianity that had really hard and fast beliefs, mm-hmm. you know? Well, I feel like, Magic and witchcraft, at least in the modern sense, is kind of like that, too. You just kind of, like, find what feels comfy and run with it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's, for me, especially, it's very based on, like, results. Like, if I have done some sort of working and I was like, oh, that didn't really, that didn't really work how I thought it would, let me try something else. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah, and I I totally can agree with that. I work a lot with what I call source energy because I don't like to individually identify gods and goddesses in that way. That's just not, Mm -hmm. that's not comfy for me. So like, yeah, I will occasionally work with very generalized god and goddess energy to, you know, get to my like Wicca roots, I guess, a little bit. But yeah, in general... You you just kind of like, it sounds weird to say that you just apply what you sort of already think and feel and believe to whatever it is you're working with, but that's kind of what you do, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So let's get back to this. Let's get back to this first scene of the episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. So we just got to the point where Micah displayed that he is both talented with magic and a little bit bold and sassy. Oh, and he is light bold and sassy. Light Spinner displayed that she's a little bit here for it and she's not going to punish him and she's not totally mean yet. Mm-hmm. She's even kind of praising him, but also telling him that if he's going to bother to interrupt, that he better really make sure he's going to be good at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, but he's like, but I am so bored. I want yes. to learn real things. Yes. And I really feel from Micah there because, uh, the idea of sitting through a class that's too easy is really, really painful for me to contemplate. Yeah. He's having some gifted kid probs, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Micah is bored. He needs to be challenged. But for some reason, there are random rules in place that don't necessarily make sense. Yeah. Why can't he do the thing? He wants to do real things like levitate, travel through mirrors and shapeshift. You know, the cool stuff. I mean, that is pretty dope. Do you guys think that this is like a trope? Like whenever there's like a a young magic kind of student like person like they they're bored and they want to like skip ahead and learn things faster and then it always goes bad for that person 
Yeah, I think it's I think it's part of the name for that trope. It's kind of a trope, right? I mean, I mean, I don't think it really went bad for him. He just had the misfortune to have a teacher who turned out to be an emotional abuser and she took advantage of him, but he didn't. It is, I guess, almost like a little bit of a misdirect because it's also a bit like Lord Voldemort, you know, like it could go Mm -hmm. in that direction. But even, I mean, it's not his fault, but you could say it still goes bad for yeah, him. Like a, like a power hungry kind of trope. I would I would argue that it didn't go well. It's yeah. more like by proxy. Yeah, I was I was gonna say I don't know because like it's not the most common trope within like magical study media because Harry Potter was an idiot. So like Yeah he was an <laughs> idiot who jock who turned out to be a cop. Like let's not <laughs> Yeah like, I wanted to kind of tack onto that that I think that does kind of call into uh hubris, right? Like it's kind of like an Icarus type of thing. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Like yes. you know, which is it was which is within itself like kind of a basis of and we're actually gonna talk about that later when we talk about Light Spinner as Lucifer and the sin of pride. Uh because she is really the one that brings the sin of pride in more than Micah does, right? Like Micah's kind of the like, like I think we said before, Micah's the little misdirect of it, but it really is Light Spinner that does it. Yeah, he just wants to be challenged and learn new things. But like, mm-hmm. I definitely agree that like, this is the like, I, I, I'm good, teach me, teach me, teach me type of thing. Yeah. Could have been like, Micah's a bad guy, right? I don't know. I don't think there's any cues for that. He's a sweetheart in every possible way well he could have been corrupted by power that's you know that's if he was a different person he could have been but the person he is is constantly shown to be good and sweet and loving and trusting and good natured you know he's a joker he imitates master norwin we wouldn't want anyone to learn actual magic or anything fun right but you know He's never shown to be power hungry in any way. No, he's not. But what, what I think what we're saying is that the trope would be something turns him into that and corrupts him. But he does subvert the trope. I think that even in those tropes, it's like you have to be cor- something in you has to be corruptible. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You have to okay, be. Yes. You have to choose to lean into it. Yes. And if you are fundamentally predisposed to it versus fundamentally not predisposed to it you know are you the type of person who would make that choice or are you not the type of person who would make that yeah choice? He kinda well, has i that- wasn't necessarily saying that the trope was that like his thirst for knowledge makes him go bad it's more mm-hmm. just like the thirst for knowledge the going too fast with magic always yes. has some kind of disastrous consequences not necessarily that he yeah. becomes evil hmm so anyway we have this um exposition at the front to let us know that Micah is really smart and he could learn a lot faster if not for these rules set up by the Guild of Sorcerers headed by Master Norwin that you have to start at the beginning and go slow and you're going to get there eventually. But yes, you are super powerful and Light Spinner agrees and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. patience, young Padawan. Yeah. Yeah. So in this scene, Micah casts an illusion of Master Norwin on himself, a very crude one, so he can imitate him. Mm -hmm. And you know, Light Spinner's all like, that's a very poor likeness of Master Norwin. (laughs) Your light spinner is excellent, by the way. You oh, really yes. channel the bitch. It's yes. great. Thank you. Yes. Do you know why that is? Do you know why that is? It's because I'm drinking. Yeah. Um. <laughs> also, because you're leaning into like your dominant personality trait. My dominant personality trait is being an evil witch. Is that what you're saying, Jenny? An <laughs> evil drunk witch. 
<laughs> I mean, you're the one who keeps saying how you fought to keep bitch in your title. I, I was really in the background of that fight. That she was, was on the sidelines. I was the one that was fighting with our host network to be like, um, that's censorship, yo. To be perfectly politically <laughs> correct about it, I didn't do shit. Um... <laughs> Talk about illusions. Stay on track, honey. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, so we see, and also we really get to see in that scene who Light Spinner is before she is Shadow Weaver. We certainly see who she's going to become, but we see that she isn't that person yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, we see mm-hmm. how she is with Micah. The way she is with Micah is not the way she is with Catra and Adora 20 years later or however long it is. Like, you know, she's very indulgent with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She tolerates his acting out, relatively speaking, in that class very differently than she would with Katra, for example. She just keeps reminding him that, you know, if he's going to interrupt, you know, he better do it with more style. Yeah. He should just be patient and he's going to be awesome. But, you know, he just has to keep putting one foot in front of the other, basically. Um, I just want to drop one really quick thing in is that when we're showing everybody practicing while we're like, Micah's really good at this. We see this kid draw a really like shitty circle. And I loved the shitty circle. The kid was like, I don't know how to draw a circle. And it was really cute. And then the drawing of uh, Norwin that he kind of puts like the Norwin suit on looks like something a 12 year old would draw. And it was really adorable. Absolutely. And so I I think Micah is about 12 or 13. Yeah, I would agree with that. In these flashbacks. I would say seventh grade. Yeah, seventh grade. So we go through this conversation we got to the end of that conversation between Lightspinner and Micah in the courtyard where she tells him to just be patient. And then we have the sweet fade from the headshot of Lightspinner in her, you know, past self in Mysticor mm-hmm. to her current face as Shadow Weaver in her cracked mask in the, her Fright Zone prison cell. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she she's just sitting there in her, in her prison cell. She uses a fingernail to scratch off another day in her cell on the cell wall. Catra approaches the cell door with a food tray. The force field drops... Katra drops the tray on the ground. She says, why do you bother? You're never getting out of this cell. She's all smug. She leaves. Forfield goes back up. Shadow Weaver does not say anything. She just sits silently. And there's an abrupt smash cut back to black. And then we have the credits. But, you know, the last the last line of dialogue that we hear from Lightspinner is patience, Micah. You must start at the beginning. And we all go, oh, we're going to start at the beginning together. Yes. Oh, I love it when they frame stuff all good like with words. Yes, exactly. That is the meta-esque line of this episode. So we got some, mm-hmm. some good meta in there. And you know, you know how much we love meta here. We love our yes, metatextual buddies here. This episode is super meta. It's I, super meta. I love yes. how they they frame it in like a history repeating itself kind of way, even mm-hmm. though the events mm-hmm. are very different. I love how it comes mm-hmm. together with the alignment of the moons, like mm-hmm. really solidifying mm-hmm. the like parallel timelines thing, you know? Yes. Yes. I yes. love it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, speaking of how, you know, things play out, this, it's like history repeating itself, even though it plays out differently. Um, my mom used to always say in terms of, you know, personal growth, and we all have patterns that we repeat, even though we get frustrated. And we're like, well, why, you know, why do I keep going through the same pattern, even though I know it's bad for me? And she said, you know, you repeat the same patterns for as long as it takes you to work it out. But every time you go through that same pattern once, it's not like you're just going around in circles. It's really more like a spiral because you're learning and growing every time and you're improving every time, even though you're going through that same pattern. You're not just chasing your tail in a literal circle. That growth is a spiral. Hmm. I like that. So that's one way to think about it. Girl, you don't know how much I needed to hear that. 
that was like that was like a mystical message for me that was like a moment mystical message from mysticor because i'm a dumb bitch all the time (laughs) (laughs) but we still love you (laughs) all right so let's get to illusion magic because i want to hear all of the things for sure so i definitely wanted to talk about it just to talk about it but um you know illusion magic plays an important role at the beginning of the episode and also at the end of the episode. So I think it's worth exploring mm. here. Yes, for please. sure. So il- illusion work does exist in real witchcraft, but it's not quite so literal as it is in fantasy television. I mean, that's just kind of a generally true statement that a lot of fantasy media concepts do have like real life equivalents. They just aren't so literal. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So more often it's called like glamoring or throwing a glamour. You may be familiar with that term if you watch the craft. And if you're listening to this, mm-hmm. you're probably a queer millennial or Gen Xer and you probably watch the craft. Actually, so, we, have we have a lot, lot of Gen Z audience. But there was a remake of the craft too. That's with right. the Gen Z kids. Yeah, for sure. So a glamour is not to like affect how something physically looks, but rather to alter how others perceive you. Or even it could be like to alter how you perceive yourself. Mm-hmm. But the first one would be the more common application of it. Um, there are a couple of like myths and images that are invoked in these type of spells. Um, chameleons are a big one, obviously. Fairies, dragons, mist. Any kind of mythology or imagery that suggests shape-shifting or obscuring. And do you know, my first introduction to this was in a Silver Ravenwolf book, <laughs> but it wasn't, it wasn't the Silver Broomstick. It was, it's called like American Powwow or something about oh, like, God. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's cringe shit. Yeah. No, it's not. It's like, well, actually, I don't know. It probably is problematic as shit, but it's not about, um, <laughs> indigenous people's practices. It's about something that she called powwow that was like from the Pennsylvania Dutch people. Oh, yeah, the the it's the powwow traditions. Yeah, I yeah, it's folk magic based in like German folk magic that was brought here and kind of it's yeah. like uh, it's like conjure. Oh, yeah. okay, so it's gotcha. from that book. Yeah, it's from that book. Thank you for clarifying all that. Because I got you. I got you. I didn't want to say that I was inspired by this super racist 90s book. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a spell in there to um to make yourself invisible or go unnoticed. Mm. Um, that invokes chameleons, dragons, and mist. <laughs> and I could probably recite it, actually. Dragon's fog and chameleon sight. I command the shrouded sea. I blend the mist. I mix the light, refract around behind me. You're supposed to chant that to yourself and imagine that you are being obscured in mist and invisible. And this will allow you to move through the world without unwanted people noticing you or speaking mm. to you or accosting you or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I use this kind of trick a lot at work. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best thing. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I mean, sometimes you just need to get from point A to point B without some dumb bitch Karen and her problems. So mm-hmm. I don't know how to not want to be noticed. I just it's like I was going to say that's a very dividing line yeah. in terms of queer magic. Yeah. The invisibility spell versus the 
please notice me smile. Yeah. Of course, that is the flip side because yeah. you can do that exact thing too. That type of glamour. Yeah, I've done yeah. I, I've done workings like that before. Yeah. Oh, do you know what? I'm so stupid. That was not the name of the book. The book is called <laughs> American Folk Magic. That's what oh, it's called. Well, there we go. That's what it's called. However, she uses the word powwow in it yeah. multiple times. Okay. So we have our first post-credit scene in the Fright Zone. We've got Hordak. We see him surrounded by robot arms, having all his tech enhancements attached to his body. Like, like this is his version of getting dressed. Like, this is how he starts his day right. every day. This is like some Batcave shit, too. It's like he walks yeah. into the Batcave and is like, he's getting dressed by his bat robots and he's all right, high contrast right. and shit. Yeah. And it looks very unpleasant and uncomfortable. These robot arms are not very gentle. And one of them hurts mm-hmm. him and he yells and smacks it away. Mm. And then he has to go over and pick it up, and he seems like he's having a real moment with himself as he picks up this literal piece of himself off the floor. Yeah. You can almost hear him thinking, this is so fucked up. Am I even a person? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I I am not the hugest fan of the show, so I watched this episode out of context. Like, I just... I would call, I would describe my relationship with Shira the way I would describe myself as a gay, which is just chaotic neutral. Fair. So... I I, yeah. this, I knew he was the bad guy, but my note when I saw him was just spooky little elf man. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's fair. Correct. Yeah, I don't know what he's supposed to be, but that's that's what I saw. Yeah, space, spooky space bat elf clone. Yeah. yeah, I would say spooky little elf man. It's, it's like they took the old Hordak and they were like, what if we made him kind of an anemic goth boy in like a Pete <laughs> Davidson kind of way? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> kind of little emo. Oh my yeah. god. Because he's got it- that like, dippy do emo like like the new 2020s, like sexy disaster goblin, like that's yes. Hordak yeah. to me. Yes. Yeah, yeah, with that like tiny bit of hair yes. at the top, mm-hmm. and that's like s- slightly sexy neckline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is what Pete Davidson is doing when he's not in a Twitter fight with Kanye. He's yes, <laughs> conquering <laughs> Etheria. Right. So he's having this moment of vulnerability. Yep. So of course that's a perfect time for Catcher to walk yeah. in. Mm. Right. So it's, of course, not her fault. She walked in on this vulnerable moment. She walks in and immediately clocks that she's just walked in on Hordak in a vulnerable moment. I just want to drop one quick thing in before you continue, is that the first mm-hmm. two scenes, uh, the first scenes that we see Katra, we see Katra walking mm-hmm. in on her bosses being vulnerable. And yet the main drive throughout Katra in this episode is that she is losing power and is powerless. That's right. So let's just draw, let's just keep that in our heads. Let's let it cook for a while. But that's right. Anyway, because because the truth is that you know it makes her vulnerable yeah. to see Hordak vulnerable because yep. he is in power over her, and if he feels threatened by her seeing him like this, he can damage her. Absolutely, she can't actually do anything to him just because she's seeing him in this moment of vulnerability. Absolutely, yeah, doesn't actually give her power over him. It's the exact yeah. opposite. Like when your boss is mad at you because they fucked up, they take it out on you. <laughs> right, like if you walk into the, your boss's office and catch them masturbating or something. I knew you were gonna say that. <laughs> by the way, I know. Really? Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, Jenny's gonna like, say who's like, who's gonna end up getting punished in that scenario? So is that like a specific experience? Or? No, no, <laughs> no. We just have a weird psychic link. No, that is my Pornhub search history. Yeah, I'm like, I've seen yeah. that one too. Like every yeah, video no, is- I've seen about the boss masturbating has not ended in an HR complaint. <laughs> Yeah, no, that is definitely not a real life example in any way. That is just like an example I could think of where, you know, who is 
who is the one who has power, you know, in an embarrassing situation? It's still the person who is in the position of power. Right. So she does the only thing she can do because she still is the emotionally intelligent one. She immediately bows down to the floor, yep. looks at the floor while Hordak finishes getting dressed. Mm-hmm. Right. She's doing everything she can not to make the situation worse. Hordak asks Catra why Shadow Weaver is still in the fright zone. And Catra, confused, says she's my prisoner. Which, sure, okay, fine. But and then Hordak wants to banish her to Beast Island. Dun, dun, dun. Can I ask a question that might be kind of stupid? Mm-hmm. I guess it's kind of a two-parter, but they have to do with each other. Okay. First, and f- first and foremost, why is it called the Fright Zone? And secondly, because it is called the Fright Zone, how did it take Adora so long to figure out that it was not a good place? Um, the mm. two, I feel like the, <laughs> the answers for those two questions are because they had to keep everything from the original series, which was written to sell yeah. children's toys. Yep. So they did what they what they could with with the material. But yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. the original series was a little more cut and dry, black and white, straightforward. Yeah. Bad and guys. the new series inherited all the names. Yeah. In the original series, Phoenix, um, Adora was under a literal spell to keep her there and to keep her on the Horde side. Oh. So that's why she didn't, like, figure it out. Right. And so in the reboot, she was indoctrinated. She wasn't under a literal spell. So you can argue that it doesn't make sense that she wouldn't figure out they were bad guys because they live in the Fright Zone. It's like, yeah, well, you know, they had to work with the material they had from the original show. Yeah, like, if you grew up in Belchertown, you're not going to think Belchertown (laughs) is a weird name if, like, you've you've never been exposed to, like, what Belcher is. So that, that's true, because whenever I tell someone I'm from a place called Beardstown, they're like, what the fuck? So. <laughs> yeah. So this is the first time I believe that we've heard Beast Island reference. Yes, it is. In the reboot. So we have to establish that Beast Island is like real, real, real bad. Yeah, it's a la- island so of Catra's beasts. So Catra's like, like, what? And Hordak is like, growl, growl. Grumble, grumble, and, grumble. You know, Catra shows us that she is really shocked and freaked out by the idea of sending Shadow Weaver away to Beast Island. We see body language of submission from from Catra. Her ears go down. Mm-hmm. She sort of shrinks back from him like she's expecting to be hit. But we can see that she doesn't like this idea. No. Even though she's scared of him, she's still advocating for Shadow Weaver to stay in the Fright Zone. She insists that Shadow Weaver can be useful if they can get her to talk, <sighs> since she knows more about Etheria than anyone else. Let's see, baby Catra. That's not why. Hornet points out that she also knows a lot about the Fright Zone, which would be a disaster for them if she escaped and that information fell into the wrong hands. Catra assures him that that won't happen. Without the Black Garnet, she's totally powerless. Catra says she can handle it. Hmm. And that's a perfect moment for all the lights to go out. Yeah, of course. Womp, womp. Nothing could possibly go wrong. Cut to everything going wrong. And I love that they do the little, like, you know, old school cartoon thing where the lights go out, but you could still see the eyeballs. But it's it's Catra's (laughs) eyes, so you still see one blue and one gold. That beautiful, beautiful heterochromia. I love it. It's just like, it's the blink, blink, blink. And then the lights are like, you know, lights come back on. I just love that. Yeah. And so it's the constant misdirect with Entrapta. Something evil. No, it's just no, Entrapta. No, it's just Entrapta. Ah, what a buddy. Yep. So she shows up. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Explains that she's just been integrating the first one's tech that they got from the last episode into the portal mainframe that Hordak built. But it maybe slightly completely overloaded the energy grid. So we're going to have to redesign that. That's a- 
classic entrapted downplaying everything, but not doing it on purpose. It's just no big deal to her. Yeah, it's totally no big deal to her that they have to redesign the entire energy grid because they have this great new tech. So of course, right. of course, know, it's going to blow whatever you everything have to do, up. You're gonna, yeah. yeah, you're going to redesign something even better. Yep. Do you guys know that um, Entrapta is the best part of the show? <laughs> I've heard that. We love Entrapta. I love Entrapta so much. She's the main reason I watch it over and over again. My first watch through of She-Ra, there was not a single scene that Entrapta was in where I didn't laugh. She (laughs) is so funny. I love every moment that she's on the screen. She's 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 best girl. She is my favorite of all time. Preach. We are a, a deeply pro Entrapta podcast. So she's funny. Hordak gets salty for no reason. Which he always does, and tells Catra that what Entrapta is doing is none of her business, which doesn't even make sense because, like, they're on the same team, and if they understand what the whole team is doing, it'll probably run better and smoother. Also, isn't she, like, the number two? Isn't she, like, Riker? Like, she yeah. should, like, know this. She's supposed to be the team leader. Right? She should know what she everyone, know what everyone is, doing. is doing. But that's why, you know, he's just a salty bitch. Yeah, and I love that. Uh, <laughs> I love the uh, there's an awkward like two second pause there. Oh, I think it's more than two seconds. Yeah, it's it's but you know it's it's a long enough pause, right? Like when an entrapped is just looking back and forth between yeah. them, trying to pick up on the I uh, loved the, on that. the social cues of this interaction. That. Like, oh, you are having a meeting. It's like who hasn't been in that yeah. situation? Because even when she's not saying anything, she's still hilarious. Yeah. She's still hilarious. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. This is something entrapped and squirt both do really well Mm -hmm. because they're both really straightforward people they just say what they mean and they don't always pick up on the social cues of a situation for different reasons but so sometimes they'll both be in a situation where they're just like i'm not sure what's going on here and they'll just look back and forth between the other people in the room to be like what is happening right now yeah and this is when we hear uh from hordak that what entrapta does is no concern of you and Hordak pretty much, you know, banishes Katra to work with Entrapta. He tells Katra that she has exactly two days to extract whatever information she can from Shadow Weaver yep. before banishing her to Beast Island. Yep. And he doesn't give a shit what she nope, wants. definitely doesn't. And then we hear kind of the first drop here that Entrapta is working on building the portal machine. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the portal machine? Who knows? It might actually come into play later but we don't know you never know well they have mentioned it in previous episodes oh, okay that that's what that that's what hordak is working right. on there hasn't been a big reveal there hasn't yet. been a big reveal this is when we learned like like this is like what entrapped is like actively doing it too so and then reluctantly catcher leaves mm-hmm. while hordak and entrapped to carry on with their work and then we move on to shadow weaver's cell i want to say two things about that last scene yes and the first one is that I love the world building of Beast Island, where we spend three seasons being ambiguously afraid of it without knowing, mm-hmm. like, anything actually about mm-hmm. it. I love that they carry that through for so long before we actually mm-hmm. go there. Because I think yeah. in, like, the original show, it was, like, episode two or three. Yeah, it was, like, but yeah, like, yeah. But in, in the reboot, it's this, yeah. yeah, it's this foreboding presence for, like, several episodes. It's the episodes. idea of something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, like, especially, like, intense when, like, Entrapta is there and you don't know, like, anything about it other than that she's there. Right. Yeah. So I just, I think that's a fantastic bit of world building there. It is. And the other thing I wanted to say was that 
I love how this whole episode plays out with Catra's complicated emotions about Shadow Weaver because we witness it and we have to extrapolate from what we see, like how she's feeling, but it's never like spelled out for us in exposition because that's not how these emotional things actually work. And that's right. just, that's that would be something that would be I, really cheap. Yeah. That's something I love about the show overall is like, so I would say the original was like an action show. And the yeah. reboot is an action slash emotion show. And I think that's, like, why it's so successful is those, like, two sides of that coin, I guess, operating together. But this is this is a great example of, like, the complexity of Catra's character, her relationship with Shadow Weaver, and how we figure it out through watching the scenes of this episode, especially without having it spoon-fed to us. I just think it's really well done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It does strike a really good balance with with all of those elements, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, sweet baby Catra. No one thinks you're good enough to be their favorite. Not Shadow Weaver, not Hordak, not Adora. We love you, though, Catra. She is Adora's favorite. I know, we just... But Adora just has other things she just has that compel other her. other things. Even though she doesn't love anybody more than Catra, there are... She has a sense of duty that supersedes her love. Yep. But that doesn't mean she has anyone that she loves more than Catra. Also, you said duty. <laughs> I sure did, cutie. You sure did. So we want to go to Shadow Weaver's cell? Yes. So we go to Shadow Weaver's cell and we see her shackled to the wall and she can't quite reach that food tray that Catra left her. Oh, how pathetic to see Shadow Weaver so powerless. Oh, she has fallen so low. So she's trying to use the force. Fails. But we then mm-hmm. go to an... Uh, 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 a more... So we get another another one of those perfect fades. Yeah, we go back to a simpler time when she did have the force. You see, you know, a shot of her hand mm-hmm. trying to draw the tray nearer and you get this sick fade of another hand trying to draw a little jewel and the hand that it fades to is Micah's mm-hmm. hand trying to draw a crystal in another Mysticore flashback. Yep. And it comes. Yep. But not to him. But not to him. To Light Spinner. <gasps> what? Light Spinner? Oh my god, you really made it move. How did you do that? And then Light Spinner gives us the, uh, starts to do a little bit of magical world building here, which mm-hmm. we talked a lot about the magic world building in our episodes on, uh, in the Shadow of Mysticore, which is the first time we see Mysticore, as well as the episode System Failure where we talk about magic and technology and the dichotomy of them and how they're not actually dichotomous. Yep. I'm going to go with that word. I accept it. Cool. Thanks. So so Light Spinner says, he, do you mind if I say what she yeah, says? Yeah, absolutely. Do it. Light Spinner says, there's magic everywhere. The princesses channel elemental magic through their runestones, but sorcerers can learn to channel lesser power through spells and incantations after many years of serious study and discipline. Mm-hmm. And Micah, you know, she and she emphasizes the word discipline. Micah's like, oh. And Micah in the background is distractedly chewing on the crystal. <laughs> I, I love that. And when she gets the word discipline, he says, oh. I love that. And then Light Spinner, and then my next line is Light Spinner, wait, I'm not done with my exposition. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the guild brings those who have a talent for magic to study here in Mysticore, but I only train the truly gifted. You're one of the most talented students I've ever seen, but you lack dedication. Okay, so like, do they like scour Etheria for magic users? Is this like a Harry Potter type of like, are people called? Is it a midichlorians thing? Like, what? What's that last word you just it's said? It's from, um, so it's it's part of the Star Wars universe, where if you are a Jedi, uh, you actually have particular things in your blood. <laughs> 
So oh. they like your your cells or your atoms or something yeah. that, that have the force. Yeah. It's like, I mean, who knows? It's dumb. If nothing else, one could presume that people who have any aptitude with magic would want to apply to go to Mysticor and study. This this scene was really interesting to me about like the magic of Etheria in general, mm-hmm. kind of overlapping and paralleling a lot with like pagan nature-based witchcraft, especially mm-hmm. the elemental magic part. That is the cornerstone of my witchcraft practice. I draw on the elements of nature and like celestial bodies to enact my workings. So that's something really, really interesting that I find about the show is that there is so much of like elementalism and working with like the alignment of the moons and stuff that was really, really cool to me because there's a lot mm-hmm. of parallel with nature worship almost within this show, which I think is yeah. mm-hmm. super cool. Yeah. yeah, I would describe my personal witchcraft as like an overlap of Charmed and Avatar The Last Airbender. Oh, I love that's, it. That's like kind of what I do. Yeah, yeah. I think we're all a little bit pop culture witches at this point. It's kind of hard not oh, to be yeah. inspired by it a little bit. A little bit, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I, I just thought that that was really cool, talking about those, like, elemental forces. And when I was watching the first season of this show, that was another thing that I was, like, really drawn to was the, the elementalism of it, like, the fire, water, earth, yeah. and air aspects yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah. only the, the, it's like air, it's like a glitter... And mm-hmm. snow. Yeah. Glitter is one think. of the elements. Yeah. The eight <laughs> elements are glitter, snow, technology, yeah. nets, wind, <laughs> plants, lightning. water, and lightning. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, My favorite power. element is, is nets. <laughs> <laughs> but I do, I do want to kind of t- touch on that too, because like there is kind of a universalism in the, in like the practice of, of, you know, tapping into nature and tapping to spirit, right? We all exist and we all exist in nature. We all exist in within the spirit. Therefore, we all should have some particular type of potential in order to do so. Because what we're mm-hmm. talking about here is potential for magic. And my question here is like, who has potential for magic in Etheria at this point? That's a good question yeah. to pose. Uh, source, uh, according to what Lightspinner has just said, princesses and sorcerers so but how does one and that's that's my like how do you become a sorcerer like if you're like in mushroom mm. the mushroom friggin kingdom and do you like wake up one morning and you're like <laughs> holy shit i drew a circle and it turned into a bird like or is it like you know it's <laughs> a good question like i don't know and so you don't see any of the mushroom people and fucking mystic or either right it's like true. i love must like the mustaches that they all have by the way but it's i'm totally digressing true. and when we get to the end of the series like the 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 failsafe. We we hear light spinner who turns into shadow weaver. Spoiler alert, everybody! It's shadow weaver <laughs> talking about releasing the magic for everyone. And indeed, when we talk about magic more into the series, we talk about how you know the the planet is magic, and you know it's been mined, so it's like. It's a resource, but it's also all there, but no one can access it. But if we open it up for everybody, so there's like, I'm so confused. I know, dude. My, <laughs> so my overall impression of of the failsafe speech mm-hmm. that Shadow Weaver gives to Casta is that the vast majority of Etheria's magic has been hoarded in this weapon right. that the first ones designed. Right. And that if it were to be, which it eventually is, re-released then everyone and everything in Etheria would have equal access to the magic. Right, but there's also, there's like a total parallel there between like 
like what you know uh, we're like i mean we're talking about like the end of the series at this point but what you know she tries to do with micah in this as light spinner versus what she does with what she tries to do with dora as shadow weaver um and right. how her thing has always been this like it can be an altruistic like we all need the power we all need the magic but you know as we see as we go through it's not because we all need the power we all need the magic she's willing to sacrifice other people so she can have more of it as well so Right. At this point, it seems like more of a convenient excuse for why right. she needs to do this power grab right. for the sake of defeating the horde. Right. right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not for me, it's for you. Right, right. Whereas, yeah. like, you know, the other thing, and, you know, I'm totally digressing here, but I'm still trying to make sense of, like, the magic in this is not maybe maybe not the strongest point in the, you know, the world I building don't, here. So I don't think there is an answer to your question as like who can and cannot have yeah. magic. I do think, however, that this division that Shadow Weaver slash Light Spinner just explained is another fantasy magic trope mm-hmm. where you have people who are like automatically gifted or blessed or whatever with magic and they can just do it. Mm-hmm. And then you have the other kind of people who have to like work hard and study for it. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. like the difference right. between just like and charm yeah. when the sisters refer to themselves as like natural born witches magical versus, witches like, as opposed regular to regular witches witch that are like practitioners. witch practitioners yes. that they don't actually other witches can't really do real magic like they or can or willow and tara yeah yeah that is a very willow and tara that's another great example of it i would say this appears nearly everywhere though the earliest example just that I can think of, this goes all the way back to like first edition Dungeons and Dragons. Yes, I was thinking that. I was thinking that. Yes. You have like clerics and sorcerers Mm -hmm. who are like born or blessed with their power and then wizards and bards who have to like study and work for it. Yep. Yep. So that's, that's a trope at least as old as the seventies. Yep. I was thinking that one too. I was thinking about like sorcerers have to, wizards have to study, warlocks have natural power, like, Dru- like, druids have natural power, but only with nature or something like that. But yeah, I was thinking that as well. I'm glad that you brought and that up. And usually this concept is presented with some degree of envy. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which is clearly the case here. Clearly the case here. Yes. Anyway. So Lightspinner has just given Micah this little speech about how gifted he is, but he lacks dedication. And of course, Micah wants to impress his beloved teacher now. And prove that he is a worthy student. And Light Spinner says before he can prove himself, he has to promise to do exactly what she says. What could go wrong? Ew, I and don't like that. So they steal shit. They go in there. Yeah. Micah does exactly what Light Spinner says, which is stealing shit. Yes, be gay to cry. Be, be Let gay. me tell you what, stealing spell ingredients is me at 14 in a CVS, okay? Oh, yeah, no, that is a, that is a time-honored tradition, right? What? But stealing from the CVS is not the same as going into the sacred lunarium and stealing the ancient ceremonial crystals that are necessary for your monthly gay moon ceremony that keeps Mysticor cloaked and hidden. No, I would, of course, never do anything to interrupt a monthly gay moon ceremony. No, because I actually had to go back to my notes from episode 107, and I was like, aren't these the ancient ceremonial crystals that Aunt Casta showed us that she absolutely lost her entire mind when some of them got smashed by accident by Adora. Oh, yeah. No, I went back for that one, too. Yeah, I looked at that in my notes, like, And they're yeah. just stealing a bunch of them to smash ba-do, them on purpose. Ba-do, ba-do, just taking them because, right. because Light Spinner is a creature that it, she's 
she's singular in her right. like pursuit, right? Yeah, and listen, I know that Micah is a child and he's impressionable and of course he has every reason to trust his teacher, but he's not like a baby. He's, you know, middle school aged. I feel like he's old enough to know that this is like massively not allowed. These are sacred ancient crystals and he doesn't look even a tiny bit perturbed well, no, about this. Well, no, his so I feel like that doesn't track. I feel for like me. it does because if you have like shit man like if somebody you know it's the it's the appeal to authority fallacy like like if somebody comes to you with enough authority you're gonna be like well if they say it's okay even though i have my own morals like micah will absolutely do this i i understand that but maybe it's just me like because because of the fact that I was raised in a chaotic home yeah. and I always had a sense that like, I have to use my best judgment in any situation. And no matter how much you trust someone, like this is a sac- these, this is a room full of ancient sacred crystals. You can't just take them to smash them. No matter how much I trust someone, I'd be like, wait, but like there's things that are, there's levels of how not allowed things are. But it, it just, there's like my, you know, I don't blink at minor th- against the law things or minor no, rule breaking. No, but it speaks to, to Micah's, Micah's comfort and naivete, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, clearly. Yeah. But I feel like he's also very intelligent. And there's this... I, I would expect him to at least blink and have a little bit of discomfort and be like, are you sure? And he doesn't even have that. No. Yeah. See, so I was surprised at I that. I feel like this episode, the relationship with Lightspinner and Micah is... he's kind of her like original I'm gonna dupe this gifted child and suck him into my evil scheme kind of thing that she repeats with Adora so for me getting him to help steal the crystals is like an escalation of that story arc Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely and I'm not saying I don't believe he would do it I was just surprised that he didn't have even like a moment's of hesitation I mean I knew I wasn't supposed to look at gay porn when I was 12 but I still did it you know so like (laughs) So the same situation, Phoenix. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Is that the second or third time we brought up gay porn? They do take the sacred gay moon crystals and they do grind them up into dust and they use it to draw a very big sigil on the floor. And Micah, you know, we've talked before about Micah possibly being the only straight person in Etheria, possibly, but he does a lot of very bisexual sitting in this episode. He does. Oh, Is that your wow. gay? Is that one of your gayest moments? It was the yeah. way he's sitting okay. when they're drawing the sigil on the floor. Okay, okay, I'll I'll cop I'll cop to that. That's a that's a bye moment. I'm yeah, minorly very... upset that we haven't gotten to a gayest moment until now. This is not a very yeah, gay this, episode. I guess this episode not. is not very gay. It's got a lot of parent child stuff. Yeah, the so. gayest thing about this episode is that Phoenix is guest starring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 not you though. No, no, no. We can't discount Jenny. I think the gayest thing about this episode is all four of us together. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. I agree. We started off the episode before we were recording talking about our signs and cats and tofu. Yeah. And yeah, no, this yeah. is just gay, yeah. dude. Yeah. That is homosexual yeah. if I've it. ever heard it. Anyway, so they go through all of that. And I was a little bit confused. Maybe you guys can fill me in about what the result of that casting was when they did that big sigil on the floor. It seemed like that was just a practice thing because then they go back to the big scrying bowl in the Lunarium and they do another thing. I mean, we're we're in a training montage. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. Fair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It, it did kind of seem like it was practicing to me. Like, Yeah, that's fair. So then they go I back mean, and they do like another thing. I can't justify the sigil on the floor, but I basically just accounted this to like, this is like, 
light yeah, spinner, training montage works. like practicing for the spell of obtainment and kind of teaching Micah the skills he'll need to help her. Right. Yeah. And then it seems like sh- he actually helps her when she wasn't sure, like she's consulting the recipe, the recipe for the spell at one point, mm-hmm. she's consulting the scroll and he just jumps up and finishes it. And she looks at him like, how did you know how to do that? And he's just like, yay, I know stuff. I'm helping. You know, they go back in the linarium and they and they make a a blob and it turns into a 3D diamond. I loved that. I was like, so it was like some like like early iTunes visualization shit happening all up there. Right? <laughs> like, it goes bad yeah. real fast for him though. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, it, it works out, but then at the end, Light Spinner freaks out because she can't believe how powerful Micah is, and she accuses him of having another teacher, which would be cheating on her. Right, creepy. That is the same note that I wrote. Yeah, I wrote that too. I, I wrote, wrote Micah is so good that Light Spinner thinks he's cheating on her. Yeah, yeah, because... <laughs> yeah, like, because that would be wrong. Yeah, well, no one else is allowed to contribute to Micah's genius, because it's all right. about her, right? Cause she, we've a, because we've right. established she's a narcissistic parent. Exactly. I think that this is an important note in this episode, Right here, because there are a lot of like takes on social media that like, I mean, okay, this episode is Shadow Weaver's villain origin story, but there's yeah. there's a lot of takes that like it's like one of those like it kind of like justifies how she got to be the bad guy, but I feel like this moment right I don't here think it justifies no, absolutely not, yeah. it absolutely does not, but there there are takes like that. I'm not agreeing with mm. them, not at all. Mm. Okay, um, no, not in any way. I'm bringing this up as a point where like nothing has gone wrong for her yet, mm-hmm. but she's already showing her abusive nature toward right, Micah yeah. That's in right. this moment. Which to me says that what happens with Light Spinner in this episode is predictable. It's the person that she was all along. Right. Exactly. Yeah, it's, not her vi- it's not an origin story of her villainy. It's an origin story of how she transformed into this other part of herself. How she transformed right. into her shadow self, truly. Yes. Exactly. Ooh. Exactly. Shadow self. <laughs> right. And that's exactly what you're saying is sort of what I was trying to say earlier about how Micah was never a person who could have been corrupted by dark magic. Because, like, Shadow Weaver was always the person she was going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, she was always this person who was power hungry and who was going to... Get what she wanted at all costs. Make yeah. these selfish, narcissistic choices. And Micah was always the person that he was going to be. Yep. Yeah. Um, that's that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so Shadow Weaver, once she's been reassured that he's not cheating on her with another teacher... She tells him that he has incredible power. Gifted. Ooh. She will be the one to mold that power. Uh, and we all we all collectively say, ew. No, my, yeah. my notes for this are ung. Ung times three. Creepy, creepy, creepy. It feels a little groomy. It's me. groomy. It's a hundred thousand percent. Yeah. Yeah, it's totally groomy, but like. I didn't. I didn't want to like write that because it's horrible out there in it, the world right now. But this is yeah. grooming. This is this literal is exactly grooming. What it is. Yeah. I mean, we have to call it Absolutely. out. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but Micah is too young and naive to realize that that's what's happening. Yeah. No, but at least it's being portrayed in a way where the viewer knows this is gross. Yeah. You know? yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I like Micah's like like eighties like jump and power punch in the air like the do 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 you know he like jumps in the air <laughs> yeah yes. you know like and he would be freezing I if mean, this was oh, at the end you. of something yeah <laughs> yeah that's right that's right and then she says a very important line that gets repeated at the very end to Baby Adora mm-hmm. she tells him they're going to do great things together yep. 
Gross. And that the guild needs talents like theirs like never before. Um, And doesn't doesn't she also say that to Adora in the pilot episode? Yep, she does. Ew. I feel like, I, yeah, I was gonna say, I feel like it's repeated outside of this episode. Yeah, yeah. so basically we're learning that Shadow Weaver has just always been a manipulative bitch. Like, yes. Yeah. 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 Even always. before she like got, all, got her face all fucked up. Yeah. Yeah, even before yep. she yeah. went like yep. full evanescence on us, she was always evil. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So now she pivots the situation to her advantage and she pulls a little super slick reverse psychology move by vaguely mentioning that there might be something important that she could maybe tell him about now. Mm-hmm. But no, you're not ready. Yeah. No, no, I'm ready. I'm ready. Tell me the thing. What's the thing? And then she looks at her, her witch's cauldron, right? Because whenever she's doing any sort of visioning, she does like a scrying jam with her like cauldron mm-hmm. and stuff, right? In the scrying bowl. Oh, we love an accurate representation of scrying. That's all I, I'm saying. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah, yeah. The spooky yeah. scrying bowl. Instead of sitting there with a map. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is not the spooky scrying bowl. This, this is, is the, the Lunarium good magic scrying the, the bowl. The sacred scrying bowl? The sacred scrying bowl, sure. yes. Let's do that. So she shows him the horde, mm-hmm. who are currently newly arrived on Etheria and not widely known. So she has to she has to tell him that yep. this is real and not an illusion. And they are jacking people up. Yeah, the princesses are not doing a good job fighting these assholes off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, more than our so-called leaders. Silly mm-hmm. princesses. Silly princesses. To be fair, the princesses aren't really accomplishing jack shit at this point either. No, they're just kind of no. sitting around being princessy. Yeah. Right, but rather than trying to call like an all world summit or like let's the sorcerers and the princesses maybe should all get together like see what else we can all do she just wants to go straight to no we need to grab the power yeah exactly yeah and that's reflective of her personality but i think you know of course kind of in the background we're seeing that like the whole world doesn't really have it together right now right yeah yeah like, shadow weaver sucks but nobody else is really doing great either yeah right and it's like you know we've got this peaceful magical world where not there's no precedent for the horde it's not right. like they fought intergalactic wars before and this is just the latest yeah, one they're like, a, like they have they're in a pocket they're in like a pocket like universe like they don't they don't know what the hell's going on like mm-hmm. yeah that's right anyway so micah now knows about the horde as Lightspinner has presented mm-hmm. it. And, you know, she tells him what her plan is to have the, the power for the sorcerers mm-hmm. so that they can stop the horde. If only the rest of the guild will agree to go along with right. it. Right. My brilliant plan. Right. My brilliant plan. Micah says, if anyone can do it, it's you. Right. You'll make them see. And fade back to Shadow Weaver in her prison cell. So. I had a note, since you guys have brought this up repeatedly when talking about um, Shadow Weaver as a witch, um, that she often does have a we cauldron. We don't use the word witch, Yes, though. we have. We've used it. We we've have? used that she has been coded as a witch in yeah. terms okay, of, like, yes. the spooky, like, the- Because they never use no, the word No, they witch. always use sorcerer. No, they do not. They do not. Yeah. But- they use sorcerer. And I always thought, and I don't know if you guys agree or disagree with this, because I think, Phoenix, you said earlier in the episode that you think the reason that they use the language of sorcery in general instead of the language of witchcraft is so they don't get associated with satanic panic. Yeah. Which, that makes total sense. I had never thought about that. In the context of this particular show, knowing who's making the show and who the audience is, I thought 
that they were avoiding using the language of witchcraft because they didn't want to offend real life. Yeah, queer witches. Like queer witches. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah. I would I would guess that's a hundred percent accurate. Yeah. yeah. And they wanted to make it like more fictional. Right. But they're still drawing yes. but Siren is right. We have brought it up before because We've recognized that they're drawing on the the tropes, just like here. It's just yes, like Wicked are. Witch of the West type of shit, right? Yes, like, yes, well, yes, I mean, yes, yes. I'll be real. I mean, I kind of came on the show to say this. Of all the characters in this show, if I was going to say anybody was a witch, it's Shadow Weaver. Yeah, yeah. Like, mm. go ahead. Yeah. She, I think she is. I think a lot of things that she does are witchy. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But anyway, I didn't mean to get super macro with that like we just did. Um, I just no, wanted to fine. bring it up because in the past, I remember Mef saying that she was coded as a witch in, in reference to her doing her shadow spy spell with her cauldron. And you were talking about her with the cauldron again. Shadow Weaver has a cauldron a lot. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, you know, while your, while your wishes are here, that we could talk about the meaning of cauldrons in witchcraft and paganism. Yes, please. For yes. a second. Yes, please. Yes. Cauldrons often represent the goddess as a whole, as you know, like a lot of vessels mm-hmm. in witchcraft represent the goddess, and it's a very vaginal thing going on there. But I didn't want to like super delve into that. I just thought I would mention it. That's not the only reason they represent the goddess, but you know, Wicca especially has a thing about like knives and penises and cups and vaginas. It's, it's so a whole thing. fucking bad. It's so fucking binary. And it comes from like weird like alchemy stuff yeah it's like <laughs> penis vagina sex baby that is what yeah. like wicca magic yeah, is about but- yeah <laughs> it's so fucking binary it's gross yeah yeah anyway but that's not what we're doing here cauldrons also represent the act of witchcraft itself and the cauldron can be a representation of a witch um because the cauldron is the vessel in which multiple ingredients and energies are combined, and the result of that is greater than the sum of its parts. With the cauldron as a metaphor for the witch, it's the witch combines energy of like the fire below, the ingredients in the stew, and the willpower of the person stirring it, and through all of that they create magic. And the cauldron also signifies the combination of all four elements. As the fire below, the water within, earth is in the herbs as well as the metal of the pot itself, and air is in the steam rising from the brew. So, you know, a lot of Wiccan tools are associated with just like one element, but the cauldron is all four, and I think that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. That is very yeah, cool. It's yeah, it's awesome. Finally, um, the cauldron is the popular iconography of the Celtic mythological witch Caradwen, who um, had this story that involves a lot of like shape-shifting and potion brewing and mischief and interfering and stuff um and caradwen is often she was just a witch in this story but she's often worshipped as the equivalent of a goddess in like modern wicca and paganism today mm-hmm. it almost sounds like if if she's revered as a witch she's like maybe the celtic version of hecate oh also i mean cauldrons being associated with with witches could i think almost be pinpointed to like shakespeare and macbeth because i mean before mm-hmm. that point yeah pretty much everybody just kind of cooked in one you know yeah truth that's very cool i love all of this right so as we have this um transition back from the memory back to the present we have a shot of the three moons 
over the fright zone nearing alignment. They are not yet 100% in alignment, but they are nearing alignment. And then the shot pans down to Katra out on her balcony, her thinking balcony, (laughs) her little alone place, looking discontent and lost in thought. And then all of a sudden the railing she's perched perched on starts jerking around like there's an earthquake. But it's not an earthquake. It's just Scorpia. Scorpia is voiced by the actress that plays Dina on Superstore. Yes. And I cannot hear her voice without visualizing Dina and her birds. I haven't seen that show. Oh, if you've ever worked in retail, it's the best show to watch. Yeah. It's so funny to me because Scorpia and Dina are like so completely different. Mm -hmm. I, I love it. It's so weird that they're the same person. Uh, and Lauren Ash, as we've mentioned before, is an international treasure. Yes, yeah, yeah. she is. She's comedy She's gold. She's wonderful. So Katra basically wants to be alone with her thoughts. She's upset. She wants to stay upset. She does not want to be comforted. But Me. Scorpia, you know. Scorpia doesn't she care. Doesn't care. <laughs> She's like, I'm going yeah. to come here and comfort if it kills you. Mm-hmm. Katra says, how'd you find me? Scorpia says, you always come here when you're upset. Plus, I looked everywhere else. (laughs) That line genuinely made me chuckle. what's troubling my best? And then she gives her the lesbian nudge. Yep. Accurate. Scorpia. Scorpia has this line that I love. Because when, like, Catra tells her that, like, she's fine or whatever and she doesn't need any help. And Scorpia says, oh, I don't accept any of that. I know. I love that. I I love that. It's such a... And she says it in a totally calm and even (laughs) way. Yeah. It's like, you know... She's like, you're not fooling me. Exactly. But it's fine. Exactly. I can meet you where you are. I can just be here with you where you are. And Catra gets very snappish as she generally does with Scorpia. And she says, yeah, well, get used to not getting what you want in life. And then, you know, Scorpia just holds space for that, doesn't snap back. And then Catra softens and says what's actually on her mind. Mm -hmm. She says, Hordak is making me send Shadow Weaver to Beast Island. Mm -hmm. And Scorpia reinforces that we all need to know that Beast Island is terrifying. She says, Beast Island Island is is real? real? And she snaps off the entire railing in her pincers. (laughs) I like, she tries to fix it. It's like, oh, oh, God. And she does the like, oh, God, oh, gosh, oh, oh, oh. The physical comedy of Scorpio with broken objects is gold every time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yep. So we really need this beat, even though we have this funny comedy beat, to reinforce the fact that Catra is really legit upset about the idea of sending her abusive mom off to this fate worse than yeah. death. This is a, like a huge minimization of the situation that Catra is in. But I felt like all of her lines this episode kind of boiled down to like, I'm angry and gay. <laughs> that's not her lines, that's, that's her character. That's her character. <laughs> yeah. 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 I have a lot of negative things to say and, and I, I hate, hate flowers. flowers. Yeah. <laughs> also gay. Also, yes, that was very much me in high school. So. Oh, God. <laughs> That's why that's why Katra is so relatable. That's why Katra's not really a villain because yeah. we all get what no, it's like to be absolutely. angry and gay. Yeah. Absolutely. That's why I started smoking cigarettes. Uh girl same. Yeah. PS don't smoke don't cigarettes. Smoke they're cigarettes. terrible. They're really terrible. I don't smoke them I anymore. I don't either. But when I was 14, I really needed an outlet for how angry I was. And an older gay literally said to me, have a cigarette, honey, you'll feel better. And I Aww. did. Was it a parliament? <laughs> Wait, we've had this conversation before. No, it was a Marlboro Red. That's right. Do you know, I had that same experience with the Dijarum Black and later yeah, I did. sucked his dick in a cemetery. <laughs> yes! That is a much higher quality cigarette. That is a much higher quality goth ass gay story. 
I know. I, I felt like I had to do something to deserve it. I you know? live for that story. <laughs> that story is perfection. Thank you. Uh, also, Thank not you. the only time Siren has had sex in a cemetery. Well, yeah. yeah. I'll tell you what. You cannot have Phoenix on the show without him bringing up his dead parents, and you cannot have me on a show without me bringing up sucking dick in a cemetery. Bless. It's just who we are. Bless. I love this. <laughs> yep. I can confirm that having listened to almost every episode of the Witch Bitch Pod. <laughs> I I love this. Thank you. Anyway, um, Katra, you know, has admitted that she's really in distress over the idea of sending Shadow Weaver to Beast Island. Scorpia, not tactful. Oh, I thought Beast Island was just a story they told us to keep us in line. Being sent there is supposed to be a fate worse than death. And then, you know, Katra glares at her. She's like, dude. Yeah, or maybe it was nice stuff. Maybe she'll write to us, you know. And tell us about it. It'll yeah. be great. Yeah. yeah. Catra's basically just like, bro, what is wrong with you? People don't write from Beast Island. They go and never come back. Yeah. And so they have this exchange where basically Catra tries to act like the reason she wants to keep Shadow Weaver around is because she can be useful. And Scorpio sees right through that yep. and points out that she hasn't been useful at all. And also, she's never even been nice to Katra, and why does Katra even want her around anyway? And also, like, Katra, don't you, like, hate her? Yeah, I thought you hated her. Yeah. And so Katra then experiences a series of conflicting emotions across her face and quietly says you wouldn't understand before leaping away. So before we go to the next scene, A, sweet baby Katra, we love you. Two, I wonder if you have the same thing, but this entire scene for me is my first gayest moment. Scorpio being a being a great pal and a good bestie and hey there, a little buddy. And yeah. also just like, you know, she's super into Katra. She wants to be there for her crush. Yeah, exactly. So In whatever way she can be. Gayest moment in this not yeah, gay that's, episode. Yeah, that's fair. So. Absolutely fair. So yes. So obviously this is a very sad moment. Um, and so I have... An all caps note, cognitive dissonance with your childhood abuser is hard. And then I just wanted to take a minute to talk about cognitive dissonance and also thought terminating cliches because it really feeds into Catra's later relationship with Horde Prime. I love this. Let's hear it. So I'm sure most people have heard of cognitive, dis- cognitive dissonance. It's a term used to describe the mental discomfort that results from holding two conflicting beliefs, values, or attitudes. Like, for example, I have an abusive parent and I hate their guts, but I still can't help wanting their approval. Very basic. Also, very applicable here. Yes, this is, you know, an example that pertains to the situation at hand. Yep. There's plenty of other examples. They don't all have to do, you know, they can also be ideological. They don't have to be with feelings. Right. But, you know, I feel like it's easier to relate to when it's about feelings. You can have an abusive parent and you can hate them, but you can also love them. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it would be easier if you could just hate them yep. and have oh. it be simple. Yep. Yeah, no, absolutely. My, but it's often not simple. Yeah, my relationship with my mother is exactly that. Um, and I often say that my relationship with her is better now that she's dead because I don't have those conflicting mm-hmm. thoughts going on all the time. I can just focus on the positive things that I want to remember as right. opposed to all of the abuse that I experienced. So right. I definitely understand yeah. right. what Katra is going through in this moment yep. because it's it's very much similar to an experience that I've had more than once. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. Same. It's so real. It's so real. I think cognitive dissonance is sort of the root of like just all like parental issues in general. I don't have the same experience as Phoenix, but like for me, it's more like I love my mom and I would never want to hurt her. And also I don't want to 
talk to her or be around her most of the time. Yeah, <sighs> exactly. Exactly that. And the more extreme the situation, you know, the more extreme the cognitive dissonance is, the harder it can be to hold both truths. The more divergent those two truths are, the harder it can yeah, be to hold them absolutely. both. Absolutely. Yeah. And so obviously Catcher's relationship with Shadow Weaver falls into that category. And so we're going to pivot from that to thought terminating cliches. Such as, it is what it is, you got to do what you got to do, etc. Those are called thought-terminating cliches. Huh. And a, thought, a thought-terminating cliche is a saying, often a tautology, that is repeated in order to relieve the stress of cognitive dissonance by avoiding all further consideration of the matter. You mean like, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, everything's fine. Not exactly. Okay. Because saying it's fine isn't necessarily true. Sure. And, a t- and you know, this is a tautology. Right, and right, a tautology right, right. is a tautology is a really annoying thing. A tautology is a statement that by virtue of logic and nothing more is true, but in such a way that it contains no useful information. For example, the red bicycle is red or the famous Doris Day song, K sera sera, whatever will be, will be. That is true. So there are legitimate uses for this, like math, like the foundational conceptual basis of math, like A is equal to A, right? The abstraction of math. So that's legitimate. But there's also... Another type of tautology that's really frustrating called assuming the antecedent or circular logic, which is often engaged by Bible thumpers who will justify their arguments with biblical citations and take the Bible's own assertions as proof of it being true, such as I know what the Bible says is true because the Bible says it is. And this concept was first described, at least in American consciousness, in Western literature, not in the whole world necessarily, in 1963 by Robert J. Lifton, who studied American service members who had exhibited drastic ideological changes after being held as prisoners of war by the Chinese government. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because cognitive dissonance is unavoidable in a messy life filled with childhood abuse, and thought-terminating cliches are commonly used in totalitarian societies and cults, which we will see later with Horde Prime. When he chips Katra, he takes away all her pain and struggles, which are the things that define her humanity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, by chipping her, he's basically coding her with thought-terminating cliches. Catra's cognitive dissonance is a core part of her psychology, having to hold these conflicting truths. So, you know, healing your trauma is not the same as burying it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think especially for people whom religion is a source of comfort or, you know, the the opiate of the masses or whatever, mm-hmm. Karl Marx said, to question the thing that is your comfort can make you feel pain. Yeah. <laughs> so, right. like, if, if having the big, deep thoughts, if asking the critical questions about your religion is shaking your faith and your face is your thing that's, like, getting you through the day, it hurts and you're not going to want to do it. But then that becomes the way that your mindset works, that you don't ask big critical questions about anything. Exactly. Because there are no questions that are just about your religion. Because, you know, I saw this, I mean, uh, I try not to talk shit about Orthodox people too much because they're people... But, you know, they see everything through the lens of religion. Everything is exactly the way God intends for it to be right now. God intends for everything to be exactly the way it is. So you can't question anything. Yeah, and that can be a really self-destructive behavior even within witchcraft too. Like interpreting everything as a sign, interpreting everything as synchronicity, interpreting everything as some kind of omen. Especially when working in things like divination, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you cannot make assumptions like that you have to question yes so there are actually this is not um 
I think, a common phrasing within our community, but I've said it for years. People that I call fundamentalist Wiccans, (laughs) and the very, like... Everything happens for a reason. Uh-huh. Love and light. Uh-huh. Um, love and light. Any harm ah. none. Do what like you perfume will. Perfuma when we first meet her. Mm-hmm. Yes, actually. Yeah. Perfuma is very much a fundamentalist Wiccan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's very love and light. Yeah. She gets over it. But when we first meet her, she's like, oh, the universe will take care of itself. Yeah. You know, yep. we don't fight back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, so that was my two cents on Katra's emotional struggles at this moment, which it's it's painful and it's difficult, but you know you gotta feel the pain, you gotta live through it, and you will heal, Katra. It sucks, but you're gonna get to a better place. And so yeah. that scene ends with another shot panning back to those three moons that are slowly coming into alignment, and then we flash back to Mysticor again, opening on another shot of those same three moons that we ended the last scene on, and now they're shown in full alignment in the skylight window at the top of the Lunarium in Mysticor in this flashback. I wonder what that means. Seems like something is ready to happen. Yeah. And that is the end of part one of the episode Light Spinner. If it seems like an abrupt place to end, that's because it is. We got four fabulous queers together. We talked for hours and hours and we realized later that we would have to cut it in two. So we're pausing here. But have no fear. Gentle listeners, we'll be back in two days on Thursday with part two of this fabulous, magically queer episode. Well, folks, if you liked what you heard, you want to acquire ultimate power no matter what the cost. You can like and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcast fix. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at HeyAdoraCast. Or you can email us all of your spells at HeyAdoraCast at gmail.com. Hey, hey, Jenny. Hey, Matt. Did you hear it? We have a Patreon. I've heard. I've heard that we have a really, really fun Patreon. We have a really, really fun Patreon. So if you become a member of the Rebellion, you can get fantastic perks. Like, I don't know, our very own Discord server, which rules, by the way. All levels of our donations, you can join our Discord server as well as our Facebook group. You also have other levels where you can get exclusive playlists. Uh, You can do Patreon-only video hangouts with us. We have a lot of cool stuff, and we have a lot of cool stuff in the works. So you can find the link to our Patreon, as well as the link to this week's magic Spotify playlist, Light Spinner, in our show notes, or at heyadora.gay. You know it! You know. We're never gonna let you forget that our website is heyadora.gay. And remember, now more than ever, queer joy is radical. And queer love still as ever saves the goddamn motherfucking universe. Yes! Ah! Yay! 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 Woo!